Welcome to Tales Ahoy. This podcast series from Orkney, Scotland, will transport you to the dark, enchanted island of Hoy, where a valley of voices will take you on a walk through time and place. On this journey, we'll be travelling along the old road, trace an ancient hill dike, then travel over old peat track between the hills, find pink heath-spotted orchids and watch the mountain hares, climb up the Kulegs to a crash site that shook the hill on New Year's Day in 1945, then mount the neighbouring Ward Hill on horseback, linger in Britain's northernmost native woodland at Berrydale and pass the place where a greedy witch stashed her loot. Before the creation of the new road, the communities of the parish of Hoy and the township of Rackwick were linked by the Owl Road, which runs past Sandy Loch between the Coolags and Ward Hill and down into the valley of Rackwick. This is a unique place within Orkney. Moorland, native woodland, deep glacial valleys and a haven for wildlife. This fringe of land between the modern road and Coolags contains prehistoric houses, burnt mounds and forgotten farmsteads, bounded by the old hill dike which meanders to the northern shore. To the west of Orgill, the old hill dike crosses the road. This large turf bank was once the main division of the land between pasture and hill grazing, but is now barely visible on the ground. The bank runs from Braybuster in the north, around Boo Hill and the Witter to the Bay of Quise. It was the obligation of tenant farmers to build up the hill dikes each spring, cutting precious turf and repairing the six feet high dike. The line of the old hill dike still follows the rough pattern of cultivated fields today. Outside the dike, away from agricultural improvements in the 19th century and modern ploughing, Hoy's ancient landscape is revealed. At Braybuster, there is a group of square barrows, thought to be rare examples of Pictish burial mounds this far north. These low rectangular earth mounds are sometimes surrounded by a bank. Recent archaeological excavations at one mound, however, did not find any evidence for a burial. Where the tarmac road gives way to the rough track of the Owl Road, there are some of Hoy's most recent archaeological sites. On top of a low natural mound, the remains of a small gun emplacement from the Second World War can be seen. This, along with the emplacements in Ratwick and the South Valley, form part of the defences for Scapa Flow stopping planes flying up the valleys from the west and attacking the naval fleet. Moving on, you will arrive at the dam at Sandy Loch. This is the gateway to the RSPB Scotland Hoy Nature Reserve. In 1983, the Arcadian reported, After two months of speculation, the old Manahoy and the surrounding moorland is now the property of the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. Chairman of the Hoy Trust, Professor Ronald Miller said, during the past two months, various fears and counter-assurances have been expressed. But now the sale is complete, it means that the RSPB is the largest landowner in Orkney. Lee Shields is Hoy Warden for RSPB. RSPB Scotland's Hoy Nature Reserve is nearly 4,000 hectares and it's a really special wild moorland landscape with special coastal scenery and atmospheric native woodland. The reserve is home to an impressive range of wildlife 
and its importance is recognised by its designation as a site of special scientific interest, a special protection area, a special area for conservation, and as a national scenic area for its beauty. There are some wonderful wildflowers and plants to discover around the reserve. Many of them are collected by the botanist James Sinclair, born at the Boo of Hoy in 1913. His interest in plants developed when he was at Hoy School. He collected specimens including algae, mosses and ferns throughout Orkney, and by his 20s had collected over 500 species. His herbarium is held at the Royal Botanic Garden, Edinburgh, where he worked after the war. James moved to Singapore to take up post of curator of the herbarium there. He returned to Hoi and spent his last years growing mosses up the boo. Kulags is the second highest of the Hoi hills at just over 1,400 feet. It's steep and there's no path to help you on your way. From the summit it's possible to walk southwesterly to the Old Man of Hoi, but we recommend taking the easier path from Rockwick. Kulags descends on the northwest side to the Bay of Tongues. Nearby you'll find St John's Head, a sandstone cliff that towers 1,000 feet over the sea and boasts being the highest vertical sea cliff in the United Kingdom. The name comes from the Johnsmiths or Midsummer bonfires, celebrated here until the late 19th century. The best way to view it is from the Hamnover Ferry that travels between Stromness and Scrabster. Further up the valley, on the southern side of Kulags, the perils of flying over Hoy are still written into the hillside. On New Year's Day in 1945, a Liberator aircraft crashed into the top of Kulags in low cloud and snow, killing all eight of its crew. She left Aden, Russia on a U-boat mission over there between Greenland and Iceland. All Czechoslovakian crew, young lads, and they didn't have the height and they just crashed into the... Another 200 foot and they would have cleared the hill. It was a massive explosion. Some of the bits and pieces were scattered quite a bit around. Then a squad of soldiers came up to bury the plane and they tried to cover it over because the British planes at that time from Hudson, Skibre and Twat was always reporting this wreckage which was turning out to be the same plane. So to keep that quiet, they got the army to cover it over. Despite the cleanup, wreckage can still be found spread across a huge area. So James and Alec and I set off. It was some climb. So we got up to the bomber and we, um, we found bits and pieces. Like rabbits, we used to dig underneath the fuselage. All the small stuff was put in below and then the wings and that. The biggest part was uh, put on top of that and then covered over with soil then. So we used to go down there and in amongst that stuff. It was exciting because you had no other hobbies. So we put one or two in our pockets and took them home. And uh, on the way down, we found one of the engines. And also a bit farther down, we found the heel of a boot. 
it was burnt. The rest of the wood was missing. We didn't find the whole wood, just the heel. The police and some naval people came up and they did a search just in case there was a body there. Well, they, they found no body and they, they found the bit of the boot that we found, so that wasn't so bad. We did a lot of adventurous things, James and I. There was a single uh, cedar crosshair aircraft that I think came from either water ski braid that crashed into the Kimahoy up in the hill. A New Zealand pilot, a young bloke, the plane had disappeared while well, it was reported missing. And there was wrens at Linus on the wireless station halfway up the hill there above Linus towards the tunnel. This wrens had a day off and they went for a walk in the hills up here and they came up on the plane. Nobody knew it was lying in the hill. It had been lying there for about two weeks before this wrens came up on it. The pilot was killed and we went up to visit the, the plane. It's still there. You could see things like machine guns and uh, items like that lying about. There was another plane that crashed above the sand at the far end of the sand up in the hill above Rockway called um, an Albacore that came off an aircraft carrier. I've been at them all, you can, and uh, just for curiosity. For years, the main route between Rockwick and the parish of Hoy was the Owl Road. It was just a rudimentary path, as described in this 1923 article from the Arcadian. The parish church is distant some six miles over the peat track, which in the winter months is a raging torrent, practically impossible. Today the road is a hollowway, cut deep into the sandy subsoil from centuries of animals, walkers and water passing through. My uncle Jack Rendell and Tommy Moore have memories of the road. There was a, a rough road to Rockwick. Everything was the horse and cart through the old Rockwick Road, which is now just a scenic path. We used to walk to Hoy, to the kirk. Well, most of the evil-bodied folk used to walk to the kirk. Some of them would go every Sunday, but... Depending on, in the summertime, it'll be once a fortnight, and the winter, it'll be depending on the weather. But I walked a few times when I was a boy with my mother. Usually did some visiting after the church, then went to see friends doing in the whole end. Thought nothing of walking. See, when I was young, on a Sunday, Rockwood would come down to the Kirk service here, and then they'd go visiting through the whole houses, you see. And the Thompsons very often came to, to us, and then next door, uh, the modes and some of them would go and visit the next door there, and so on again. See, visiting that days was, was it's never done, it was common, common then, you see. Convoying was the, the when the kid go home then, they always convoyed them so far then, back out for the house and all again. They never just close the door and let them go. No, walk back and forth the road. But when they left for the visit and they got out, they would convoy them then, oh, maybe as far as up the bridge, as far as Hoyville and things then, speak and sell as they went, you see. Oh, completely different again. Completely different. In the days before motorised transport, horses and carts were still in regular use to carry the mail. Hoy's mail carts started at the end of the 19th century to link Hoy Post Office with Rackwick. Pulled by Bullock rather than horse, it was nicknamed the Hoy Express. 
It became a subject for Edwardian picture postcards, almost as popular as the Old Man of Hoy or St Magnus Cathedral. It was even used to advertise Crawford biscuits. But even in the early 1900s, collection of mail was often done on foot. Isabella Nicholson from Burmos and Rackwick was Ebenezer Moore's delivery girl. She would collect the mail from Rackwick, walk the old road to the post office at Burnhouse in Hoy, collect the mail from Rackwick and mark the journey back home again. Tommy Moore tells of a different way to traverse the old road. <laughs> it's a story I really shouldn't be telling. <laughs> An old Ferguson 35 tractor, the two young boys with me, they were young at that time, come off the school. And uh, I said, oh boys, they said, oh, I'll do a first. I bet there's never been a tractor in the old road to Rackwick. No, I don't suppose there has, actually. Not one of our best ideas, I must say. We set off, climbed up, run the, by the water sluice that overflowed the sandy log, made the other side where, drove up the narrow, the roads got a narrow and steeper in between, drove on again. Oh, get on through this, I don't think I'll ever get back through this again. And he went drove on, and then it's flattened out and going along, not so bad, past Berrydale now. Well, no stop there, they were better home on, get back up the main road at Rackwick again. Westerner to be. The last, come under Rackwick, inside Rackwick Road now, a sharp deep down down and a sharp rise up, caught her there. Brr, brr, <laughs> oh, God. Had the cap in hand to go to, I think, with the centre basically come up and tell me you were one of the firm tractors. <laughs> it's an episode I would just rather really forget, pretend it never happened. There have been a few in my life, and that's certainly one. <laughs> never again. The creation of the new road has meant a wider choice of transportation, but the scenic and more direct route of the old road is still the preferred path for walkers. So let's keep walking and see what's on the way. This route through the moorland heart of the reserve gives you a chance to spot the fantastic variety of wildlife and wildflowers. It's lovely to be able to walk the original road to Rackwick and think about all the people who've walked this path over the last 300 plus years. One of the species Hoy is known for is the great skua, locally known as bonksies. Worldwide, these seabirds are almost as rare as polar bears and the island holds around 12% of the world's population with several hundred pairs nesting on the reserve. Around 20 pairs of red-throated divers nest on the reserve each year. Listen for their haunting courtship calls around the coast in spring. You might even see a red-throated diver bathing among the great skuas on Sandy Loch. The divers leave the island in the autumn to spend the winter at sea. Hoy is a great place to spot birds of prey, with up to seven species nesting here. You might see hen harriers gliding low over the heather in search of their prey. The brown females are noticeably larger than the ghostly grey males. Peregrine falcons are also regularly spotted here. These speedy hunters catch their prey using a specialised aerial dive called a stoop, when they may reach record-breaking speeds of 200 miles per hour. Hoy is home to the mountain hare, which, unlike the rabbit and brown hare, are native to Britain. 
Although they were introduced to Hoy between 1898 and 1914, the hares turn entirely white between October and December each year and keep a bluish tone to their brown coat in summer. They feed on heather and other moorland vegetation. There are glorious wildflowers all along the side of the footpath. The colours and variety increase through spring into summer, but you can see delicate pink heath-spotted orchids, yellow tormentil and purple scabious flowers with scattered, gruesome, insect-eating plants like sundew and butterwort. Through the summer, you can also see many colourful insects along the footpath route. There are speedy green tiger beetles hunting among the heather, delicate common blue butterflies, and up to seven different kinds of dazzling dragonflies and damselflies. Just below the steep scarp slope of Ward Hill is the Pick's Well. There is a small stone-lined well in the corner of a stony enclosure. A spring is still active, giving rise to a distinctive patch of green grass and ferns within the heather. Many of the stones and blocks on the site are squared, suggesting that they were building material from long-gone structures. Despite the name, the age of this enigmatic site is unclear. Was it a medieval healing well, or could its origins be older still? Near to the old road, another healing well, the Muckle Spring, has long been filled in. At just over one and a half thousand feet high, some would be surprised to hear that Ward Hill is the highest point in Orkney. But those who have visited before will know the flat landscape of Orkney makes the hills of Hoy seem like Everest. The name Ward comes from the Old Norse Varda, which means beacon. Every island in Orkney has a Ward hill, the highest hill, where they would set a fire to warn of enemy approaching. There are a number of ways to climb Ward hill, but most visitors follow the route starting from the Owl Road. The path is not always well marked, making it best suited for experienced hikers with some navigation skills. Terry and Jean Thompson recall climbing the hill on four legs. Talking about horses in Hoy, the horses have been in Hoy for hundreds of years. And Jean's father, he uh, took on looking after horses, breeding horses, shoeing and being the farrier's work. And uh, he was employed to carry materials to the top of the Warren Hill to build a surveyor post. We were just small children and we were put on the horse's back, big stallion, beautiful stallion as well as all the cement and the sand. And uh, we were sitting up on the horse and the saddle snapped and we all landed down on, under its belly. Obviously I was frightened, but anyway, we carried on up the hill. And I do remember being up at the very peak and then the fog came down thick, as you know it does, and you can't see where you are. But my father took us to the edge of the hill and he said, go down there. I mean, we were just small children and uh, we went home that way and he made his way home with the horse himself. When you see the surveyor's post erected by Jean's father, you'll know you've reached the summit. Frankie Sinclair would climb Ward Hill for a different reason. Well, there's a whale up on top of Ward Hill. Lovely water, summer and winter, beautiful water. I've been up there about three times. I always take a bottle down to dilute my whiskey with it. 
It was Jimmy Moore's favourite view. Top of the water is the best viewpoint in the whole north of Scotland. You can see from Duncansby Head to Cape Wrath, all the mountains of Sutherlandshire, Stack Rock, Sulskerry, the Noop Head, and most of all the North Isles of Orkney. If I had the money that Donald Trump has, I would build a small chairlift like they've got at Annach Moor, you know, and put a restaurant and an observation place up there. Donny McKinnon remembers climbing Ward Hill with Jimmy Moore when they were children, looking for something more than just a view. Having heard the minister on Sunday say that God lived out on mountains, well, Ward Hill was a mountain, why don't we go up and see God? So we set off, went in between the cliffs, we were straight up over the face. So when we got to the top, eventually, we looked around and there was no houses, and there were no temples, just nothing but soil and rock and, um, well, not a lot else, really. We looked around and God wasn't over here. And it was no sign of him there. He looked over the edge and no, he wasn't down there either. And, um, well, it was the talk of the place, really. There's these two little boys, about four and five, had gone to the top of the water hill right up over the face and come down again and all in one piece. We felt a bit cheated, really, that we'd done all this hard work and God wasn't in. It rankled a bit, really, with us. We complained to each other. We didn't complain to God, of course, because you, you didn't do that. <laughs> I wonder if you were still on the side here. I forgot. I'm with Tony Leon, but I'm right off side. I wonder if you're still there. Are you there, boys? No, you're still, man. I think the radio outside was shouting on you there. Let's see if she's on the channel or radio outside. Come on. I used to go up to the top of the hill with CB radio and a 12-volt car battery on my back and antenna and sit there talking to all the uh, folk all around the north of Scotland and Shetland and that. It used to be a proper wind-up there, too. Come on, another bunny song, Tess. It's great to be back home in Kirkwall's He had asked me to come up at a certain time of the day with coffee and sandwiches. So, of course, I uh, got that ready and set off. But the only thing was it took me quite some time to get up the hill because I had to stop, take a rest quite often. <laughs> but when I did get to the top of the hill, it certainly is worth it because you have such a good view. Turning down Ward Hill back to the old road and heading south, you'll be able to visit the hidden gem, Berrydale. Not a dark, foreboding valley, but a sweetly perfumed dale, where the flowers and wild profusion, fairy foxglove and bluebell, and the scarlet rowan berries, scenting far the summer gale, cluster in their wild profusion in the glen of Berrydale. The woodland at Berrydale is the UK's most northerly native woodland and is a remnant of a woodland that once covered most of Orkney. So this area has been woodland for 10,000 years. From the footpath to Ratquick, you can see the tree canopy clinging to the steep-sided glen, but the downy birch, rowan, aspen, 
Hazel and willows that grow here are up to 10 metres tall. Inside the woodland, it's truly atmospheric and lush, with a carpet of blaeberry, honeysuckle, woodrush, wood sage and ferns, and the branches hung with lichens. In 2010, an accidental wildfire spread and threatened to reach Berrydale. Firefighters and locals worked for two days to stop the fire reaching the woods. Although the flames came dangerously close, it was saved. Since then, firefighting zones have been created around Berrydale by cutting vegetation with handheld brush cutters. In this dark enchanted isle, John Bremner writes of the witch Titler, who is said to have built a fank or sheepfold near to Berrydale to keep her tithes. Tom Muir tacks up the story. The beautiful valley of Rackwick was known at one time for its witches. And there was one witch in particular who was remembered with uh, no degree of fondness. Her name was Tetler, and she was a relation of the Laird of Hoy. But she had a thirst. She liked a drink. Lots of it. And the Laird grew fed up with her, and so he gave her Rackwick as her own little piece of land, which kept her a long way away from him, and also, he thought, would keep her away from the booze as well. But she had a pretty strong constitution, and she would set off twice a month to go to Strumness to collect her supply. Now, she terrorised the local people with claims that she was a witch, so when she went to Strumness, the men from Rackwick had to meet her halfway along the road and escort her back. She lived like a feudal lord, and she also claimed tithes from them as well, in lieu of rent, two lambs from every croft in the valley. And she had a fank built, an enclosure to keep the sheep in. It was built near Berrydale, and it had a turf wall, and that's where the sheep were kept. And she absolutely terrified everyone in the whole valley with her stories of her powers of witchcraft. Now, she decided that she would build a fine two-story house for herself, down by the boat nousts. This would be a way of being able to keep an eye on everybody that came and went, and also if anything was being brought into the valley, anything of any value that she might be able to claim part of for herself. So she ordered bricks and slates to be brought in from Thurso. Now at that time, Buildings made of bricks were regarded as being very, very high status. Only the very rich could afford bricks, not stone. So a sloop arrived and anchored in the bay with her bricks and her slates on board, and the local men had to go off in the boats and cart it up to the shore and then carry it up and put it above the banks then, ready to be used. But then that night a storm blew up and the sloop dragged its anchor and was wrecked at the east side of the nousts. And then 
that was the end of Tetler's reputation as a witch. People said then that, well, if she couldn't even save her own boat from being lost, then she's not much of a witch. And so they stopped believing in her power and they were no longer afraid of her. Onwards now, south to Rackwick. Along the way, we'll follow and eventually join Rackwick Burn. Look out for the peat banks that stretch from Coolags to the ridge of Clicknafee above Rackwick. Peat is created from the slow decay of moss and heather over thousands of years and was the islanders' main source of fuel. Peat cutting time was always done in April, going into May. And so the locals would have a peat bank each, and this would be dished out by the laird. So you flay the bank first with a flay knife and take all the heather off the top. And then you um, have a, a tusker, which is like a funny sort of spade that's got a tr like a triangle at the bottom. And you uh, cut that down and then somebody stands on the bank and then somebody throws the peat up to them and then you lay them all out and dry them. Before we left, we would then raise the peats so that you had two this way and two that way. So they were in a foursome, if you follow what I mean. You then sort of leave them to dry for about six weeks and then bring them home. And then we'd make a peat bank, you know, a little peat stack. If you look up the slope between the stone screes of Grutfi and Klitnafi, you might be able to mark out a faint vertical line in the vegetation. This is where equipment was dragged to the Old Man of Hoy by the BBC in 1967. But we'll leave that story until later. Just before we meet the new road and the entrance to Rackwick, look west halfway up the slope of Murafi and you'll notice a small vertical oblong patch of green. The green patch is known as Dead Boy's Grave and has an intriguing story. The grave was obviously a significant local landmark in the late 18th century as it is depicted on a 1791 map of Ratwick. This is the first tangible evidence for the story other than the tale itself and it is intriguing to see it marked on the old estate map. The grave, as the name suggests, is reputedly where a boy is buried, having been chased up the hill by Ratwick residents after he jumped from a disease-ridden ship anchored in the bay. Another story associated with the site is that the boy was caught escaping the press gangs. The fact that the grave is depicted on the late 18th century map suggests that the press gang story has been conflated from other tales. Archaeological investigation would be impractical at the site due to the very steep rocky slope. Curiously, and some would say inevitably, during a heather fire along this side of the valley a few years ago in 2010, Dead Boy's Grave was the only unburnt green patch on the hillside left untouched by the ravages of the fire. We hope you enjoyed the second episode from Tales Ahoy and will join us our next journey to Rackwick, described by Arcadian poet George Mackay Brown as the Hidden Valley of Light. Visit our Hoy Heritage website and find out more about the people, places and the Tales of Hoy. <laughs>